I don't know what stopped you talking, but I can guess. They're coming. They are fast, faster than you could believe. Don't turn your back. Don't look away and don't... Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? They're creatures of the abstract. They live off potential energy. What in God's name are you talking about? Trust me, just nod when he stops for breath. Here comes the drums! Oh, here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest, an enterprise, an endeavor to watch all the episodes of the television program with an M and an E at the end of Doctor Who in random order. I am Pete Paschal. And and I'm Chris Taylor, and the guy over my shoulder is uh, a certain David Tennant, who will be uh, joining us later. But no, uh, we we are here at a very exciting time uh, for our show. It's a very special episode. Uh, but yes, we are we are a couple of guys who go on this random journey through who stories rather than who episodes, and uh, uh, we've we've yeah. arrived at a doozy of a story. Whoa, Pete, whoa, whoa. Where we where were we? Where were we? <laughs> Well, before, before we, we know it, where we are, we must know where we came from. No spoilers. Well, we're also about spoilers, but ah, oh, it's got to give you the context that the, they've got to lead up to it. It is the the journey we've been on recently. So previously on Pull to Open, we a few episodes ago were at one of the legendary stories of mm. the program. Uh, it was a, from series one way back in 2005. It was an episode you might remember called Dalek. Just um, huge. Uh, it was a, a big sort of moment in the podcast because we'd been anticipating getting to that one. Uh, it was huge. It was a, a great uh, commentary. We had a good time talking about it. So then mm. we got zipped to another era of New Who and we chatted a little bit about the beast below yes. uh, perhaps not quite so beloved episode but <laughs> very interesting to sort of see that in sort of the, the new sort of moffat era whereas dalek was sort of at the beginning of the russell t davies era and we, we, we do kind of like it when that when they kind of bounce out right the um, the good ones the really good ones and the the so-so ones yeah just what we had there with those two anyway you gotta pace yourself it's about all about you know it's all about the pacing. It's all about getting things in the proper order mm-hmm. because we also just needed a quick interlude back into Classic Who, back to the very beginning. And we talked about Planet of Giants. And I think uh, we, we talk occasionally in our podcast, well, all the time in our podcast, about what the randomizer is doing in terms of taking us to various episodes. And mm. what I didn't think of at the time was I, I believe it was teasing us to with the planet of giants because the season two blu-rays are not out yet right so we had to actually watch that on Britbox, yes and uh i think it's just really anticipating that so it's kind of a thing i thought of Mm. after the fact but i didn't know that yeah perfect timing so i was trying to (laughs) randomize sponsored by bbc enterprises yeah, well, I think it's good. That's the Christmas. It's the Christmas season. We're here in the middle of the Christmas season recording this, and so it's like, yeah. hey, some holiday gift giving might want to do that. So that's what I think it was trying to tell us. But it was all, guys. It was all setting the stage for <laughs> this week's episode. It's a been a big lead up to where we're at now, which is series three, episode ten, Blink. Oh my God, I, I, Pete, I, I can't, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're here so soon. I mean. Regular listeners know Day of the Doctor is my favorite 
Uh, Blink is my second favorite. I'm exactly aligned with the 2014 Doctor Who magazine mm. poll in that. Um, and now we've done the two we're, we're about to have done. Uh, <laughs> right. Get me my timing, why me tenses right? Um, the 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 two best shows in in uh, in that we could have come across. I mean, is is this it? Is pull to open over? Should we shut it down? Is it pull to <laughs> close? Exactly. You're absolutely right. I mean, longtime listeners will know. Like I think it was a little over a year ago where we got a little worried. We were burning through too much like epic doctor who that's right we did a mini episode on that we did a mini episode worrying about it and now Uh, i'm more worried about it yeah (laughs) we've just done dalek we're about to do blink we did day of the doctor about a year ago we're we're not even halfway through the canon you know like we've got like about 60 70 percent to go something like that let, let me tell you something, dear listeners. There, there is a heavy weight that comes with uh, the pull to open journey, and the heavy weight comes in these episodes. Like I remember, we we had this feeling right before Genesis of the Daleks, like we're mm, we're, we're right. not worthy. Uh, how are, are we ready on this uh, rainy Saturday morning to talk about one of these stone cold classics of Doctor Who? Can we do it justice? Can I do a TLDW? that will mm-hmm. <laughs> summarize Blink in one minute and do it justice because that will live forever as a TikTok, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, little, also, uh, it's a yeah. heavy honor. It is. It very much is. And we also need to put on our journalism hats a little bit, I think with these mm-hmm. and, you know, even though they're very highly regarded and deservedly so in many ways, I mean, we need to come at it with a certain pair of eyes and, and sort of, think about does it deserve it what does it mean in the context today is it as impactful as it um was at the time and we'll go into yeah. all of that with blink um we, so, we will not blink when it comes to the flaws in blink and there are flaws yeah absolutely but it is one of those things i think we might have to go back into the codex at some point because now um we're kind of like you know like it's it, it's kind of like when you have any genre any, any tv show things emerge as the sort of all-time classics and then after that top list you sort of you know pick whatever you want like it depends on taste um so i'd have a hard time thinking at beyond dalek day of the doctor blink like what what's outside of that that's your top three probably what's your what's your top five and i'm missing Mm. um something key I, I mean, like Genesis of the Daleks is, is certainly up there. We've done that. You no, know, I think just with New Who. Oh, yeah, New Who. New yeah, Who yeah. specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. I don't it's, know. Listeners, write in. Let us know. what 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 is, Some people like 11th Hour. I mean, a lot of people do. Some people um, super into the Master Trilogy from part, uh, the third season. Um, Indeed, you know, which, which in immediately follows this. Yeah. The Girl in the, the Fireplace Silence in the Library, the library which we've also which we've done. done. And we're also burning through the Moffat RTD collaborations, and we've talked right. on the many, on the show about how that was the golden age of who when when they worked together, and this is very much another example of that. And I, I don't know how many are left. Yeah, we'll do. We'll you know we'll figure it out, and we'll. <laughs> this is probably inspiring our next mini episode. Indeed, but guys, we're going to get to the commentary on the episode itself sooner or later. But before we do that, of course, we will go into the pull to open feedback loop. Yes, and because this is a podcast. Yeah, it is. Podcasts thrive on reviews. Leave us a review. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stepping on your lines, Pete. No, no, you go, you go. That's, <laughs> I think you did it. <laughs> Whenever, yeah, that, that's it. That's basically it. 
We love reviews. They really help the show. And if you leave a review, I would love to read your review out on the podcast. And I have one of those. I have a review from uh, a new, well, I don't know if it's a new listener, but it is someone who uh, left a review and I will, uh, here it is. All right. uh, the handle, by the way, is um, Sheik's Hashtag. Sheik's Hashtag. Sheik's and, Hashtag. Uh, yeah, I've got mm. nothing. And <laughs> the title is Exploring Doctor Who in the Most Appropriate Way, an Extremely Timey Wimey Order. Very apt for this week's episode. Um, mm. Five stars. I found this podcast at the perfect time. I have just recently found a rebirth of my obsession with Doctor Who, spurred on by the announcements of RTD and Tenant returning and had been mm-hmm. looking for new podcasts to listen to. So oh. my joy skyrocketed when I found a clip of Pull to Open on TikTok. I started by randomly watching through episodes from New Who, but then decided to watch through all the episodes in the order released. It is absolutely wonderful to not only hear fans of the show talk about some of my favorite episodes that I am incredibly familiar with, mm. but also to be more introduced to classic Who. Yes. I do not see how anyone that listens to this would not be a fan. For Doctor Who fans, it is a wonderful look at nearly 60 years of one of our favorite shows. And for non-fans, it is an interesting introduction to the show that may spur them on to watch it. For the past two weeks, I've been listening through this podcast constantly while driving at work, while doing homework and playing games. I'm now very wow. excited to watch each story each week along with the podcast. Oh. Amazing. This is such a good review. I love it because it's he's just it's exactly how we're trying to reach people, honestly. Exactly. Like it's, it's, he's kind of ticking all the boxes here in that. Sheik's hashtag is hashtag <laughs> awesome because, yes, we, we do want to I, – I don't want to say, like, we want you to get to eat your vegetables – uh, but that's kind of what it feels like sometimes, right? We we, we have these incredibly meaty episodes about the the, the uh, stories you know and love, like Dalek and like Blink, and uh, and what what perfect timing to be doing Blink because so many people are interested because David Tennant is coming back, um, and here's one of Tennant's top episodes, even though he's not in it. Um, but but also like we we do season that a little bit, <laughs> even if the randomizer is like let's eat all the meat now. Um, we, we do season it quite a lot with the vegetables, as it were, of the classic show, which are rewarding every time we get into them. There's there's something that we pull out, there's something that we see in Who history for the first time. Uh, there's there's the real world history that spins off for it. We, we go off in all directions from, like, you know, and there's, there's never a dull pull to open because we always find something, even in the, the not stone cold classics like Planet of Giants. You know, it's funny. I think you've we've just decided that if you're a Doctor Who vegetarian, you're a fan <laughs> of the classic series. <laughs> I mean, the, the, new the, Who is is dead to you. You're one of those. It's it's Who in name only. A wine classic classic series like uh, meatballs and vegetables. Very tight clusters. Yeah. Like you know, you oh, there's some soy in there, man. There's some good soy. <laughs> Um, high in protein, but yeah, it's funny. I, I, I'm trying to think, like, I'm going too far with this analogy, but has there ever <laughs> been plant creatures as the villain in New Who? I've got to think about it because it's happened several times in Old Who. We, we're going to have to judge now if it is everything a, a vegetable episode because we've had the weed. <laughs> we had the right. weed in uh, Fury from the Deep. Uh, that that was yep. very nutritious, you know, lots, lots of protein in that seaweed, but also it's seaweed. It's yeah. hard to get people to eat uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> What's Doctor Who's Soylent Green episode? I don't know. Maybe they're still yet to come. RTD? All us. Well, surely that's the two doctors with all the cannibalism in it. 
Ah, uh, uh, yes, mm, of course, of mm. course. Yes. Well, thank you, Sheik's Hashtag, for that amazing review. Yeah, We're wow. really happy you're here with us on this journey. Uh, and you too, listener, can be with us here on this journey. You obviously are because you're listening to me, but go ahead and leave a review over on the Apple Podcast Store, uh, which is the best place to leave reviews or anywhere you're listening that can yeah. take reviews. And, and you know what? If, if you if you want to participate in this uh, experiment in randomness that we are essentially conducting by going randomly through the entire history of Doctor Who, leave what you want the randomizer to do next uh, in your review. Because, um, mm. you know, we, we, what we're discovering with the randomizer is you really don't get anything you don't ask for. Yeah. Uh, and it listens in in strange ways. Like last week, I don't want to get too far into the question of why did the randomizer take us here. But I will say, if you listen to Planet of Giants podcast, I, we did talk about cats blinking. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't don't blink in front of the cat. Uh, I think I actually use those words. And lo and behold, <laughs> here's what happens. So if you leave a review with a, an episode that you'd like us to go to, maybe that will be enough for the randomizer to take us there. Oh, wow. That's great. And speaking of reviews of episodes, um, we like to call for emoji reviews or rather we emoji do. titles. Oh, God. Do we have uh, another one? It's an ongoing thing. It's actually kind of becoming our thing. It- <laughs> and, and it's always kind of been our thing, but we've had uh, sort of a density of them lately. And, and I've got so many of them wrong. We've, <laughs> well, you've got so many of them right, too. You, That's you true. Some hints here and there. The glass so, is we got some more. They came oh in. Uh, it's actually one of our reliable providers of these. Dalton 1963, you may have remembered, which almost oh, yeah. he almost stumped you. Um, but we've got three more. And okay. I, I need your help with a couple of them because I'm not okay. sure what they are. So this is going to be, we may we may come up, uh, you know, snake eyes on some of these if oh, uh, we can get them. You know so, what I've realized my problem with this segment is? I, it's, it's taking so much mental power to just see the emojis in my head from having them described <laughs> to me that what I need is an emoji robot from Smile uh, to come up and just sort of present me with the emojis. Be like, okay. It would be. I wish there was a way. I'm looking yeah. for a way to share my screen at the Zencaster <laughs> and I can't. No, that's, so. that's quite all right. That's quite all right. Uh, all right. I'll see let's if I can do it. it. Oh, all right. All right. Let's we'll get the first one. first one. All right. The first one. Here's the. Here it goes. It is a audio icon you know with kind of one of those uh cone woofers and and sound the coming out sound of it. the sound of something yes yeah and sound. then there is uh, a drum and another drum sound of drums <laughs> so that one there it we, is we have it every week how could we not get that one um and we're gonna move on to number two well way to go by the way um Thank you. <laughs> now this is three emojis all the same emoji and it is indifferent face with dotted lines around the face okay so it's like it's you know what i mean it's basically expressionless so you just have the flat mouth right so it's basically that it's the one that's dotted lines like it dotted line around it yeah and i don't know what this is Mm. (laughs) the three doctor ghosts Uh, so they're they're all they're all ghosts yes exactly is that what it is three ghosts uh, okay. Is it army of ghosts? No. Um, is it? Uh, can't oh, be three wait. doctors. No, you said Power it. Of three. What? Army, army of ghosts, of... right? Yeah, you Wasn't think that so? what that one is? Yeah, it could be. Oh wow! Because it's three. Three could be an army. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know how you, why you wouldn't do as many emoji as there were Cybermen. Uh, yeah. Sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen Army of Ghosts. <laughs> um, 
There it is. Could be no, that. Okay, yeah, that's okay. it. Let's go with that one. Oh. Not bad. Okay. Thank you. All right. One. Okay. You're boosting you're my confidence. Great. Yeah. You're killing it. <laughs> All right. Now, last one. Here it is. Negative sign or M dash. It's basically yeah. just just that. Um, maybe it's just a dash. Then it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a male uh, emoji signaling cross checking. <laughs> they got okay. the arms up here. Excuse me. So um, M dash arms crossed. Right, yes. and then it's like a sine wave. So so like you know it's a squiggle. But it looks like a, a, a very something not yeah. wave. Um, I, I, I'm no wave. reversing no wave. I'm thinking he's reversing the polarity of the neutron flow there. Mm. Uh, in in that, uh, what's the dash? No. Negative? Is it negative or is it dash? Mm. Yeah, the minus, minus of the the of the waves. <laughs> I mean, you could almost uh, anything you'd come up with there would be a rejected title for like season twenty six. I think we got to start with the wave. Like, what is that? Hmm. Is there anything with a wave or sign? The frequency. Uh, I don't know. I'm coming up. Mm. I'm coming up blank here. I, the cross-checking I, thing is really if that's a no, that's a no. it's usually a be, no mm. right mm. or I, not or no way Jose or uh, I would yeah, typically but, think that you would use the circle with the, the red circle with the cross out for yeah, no yeah yeah it's a little confusing and I think you're right I think the minus sign or M dash not knowing what that is or not knowing what it's supposed to be <laughs> You know, mm. is it minus or is it dash? Neither of those really bring Doctor Who titles mm. to mind. But this is the great thing about doing it with with uh, three hundred and two story titles. It is uh, literally impossible unless you just swallowed a spreadsheet to keep them all in your head at once. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm cheating right now because I'm actually <laughs> looking, looking at, at the codex. <laughs> I'm looking at the codex. I've opened yeah. it up prematurely, but I still yeah. am not. I'm just skimming it. I don't, you know. I, I thought the, the, for a second the almost people, but the no, almost I'm not people. Sure. Yeah, I don't. That the wave doesn't work though. Yeah, is that? Uh, wait, wait, what's what's the almost people? Is that a hidden story I don't know about? Oh no, that was uh, Rebel Flesh Part Two. Oh, remember okay, that? Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to. I <laughs> this would be a three hour podcast if we did. Yeah. It. We're going to yeah. say we anyway. failed this one, Dalton. We're going to get back to it. Sorry, uh, Dalton. Go ahead and let us know what it was. And uh, once you once you hear this, and we'll and, and listeners, please also write in, <laughs> save us our blushes. Uh, if you are currently screaming at the podcast that obviously it's this, we're such idiots. Uh, how did we not see this? Uh, please, please write in. Let us know. Tweet at us. Uh, we also need to know the, the right place to put it in our codex. Uh, but yeah, keep us keep them coming. We love the brain teasers, and um, we'd love to read them out on the show. We All do. right. Speaking of stuff, you can also leave them at a place uh, called YouTube. So YouTube mm. keeps continues to grow. It's going strong. We have our new episodes posting there every Saturday. Uh, we're continuing to put up the ones we hadn't cut the video before from quote unquote season two of Pull to Open. And uh, those are going well. Our shorts and our plots, plot summaries are all there too. And we're getting some great comments. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, tell people about YouTube, especially if they like their podcast with a little video, you know, like the 
see who they're listening to. You know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you need to know these are real people and not just bots. Yeah, and you get all these uh, Easter eggs like uh, like David here telling us not oh. to blink in the background. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna bring that up. Mm. Uh, you look like you have someone looking over your shoulder this week, which is indeed oh, could all use that. <laughs> <laughs> also on social, TikTok continues to grow. We are at Pull to Open on TikTok. We're getting great energy from our recent videos. Lots of discussion on our videos from the beast below. We actually had kind of a viral hit with our clip where you talked about how that the, uh, the plot of that episode may be an unsubtle reference or an unsubtle metaphor, rather, about the British Empire. The that, British you know, Empire. Something they did. <laughs> going As a on British, for 300 years and needs, the British probably needs to apologize for uh, yeah, well, I'm glad that went viral. A little bit of politics, a little bit of politics. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah as, a, as a British historian, I couldn't let that one go. So uh, glad that it's spurring some conversation. Yeah, and so I wanted to highlight a comment um, where someone seemed to <laughs> take a point Uh-oh. of view that I had. So it's basically from one of our commenters, Morgiri, 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 anyway, that's how it's spelled. And they say, yeah, I think it has more to do with the public choosing to ignore all the horrendous decisions the government has made come election time. And mm. I was like, yes, that's was what my thought. I actually... I liked seeing this and there was another comment that was similar. So yes, I'm choosing these to congratulate myself, but it is like, I remember when I thought about that, I didn't like, I, I kind of liked your analogy better just cause it is a little more pointed. Um, mm. Whereas mine was just seemed a little bit generic, but you know, generic stuff, that's okay too. And so thank you for bolstering uh, both my theory, morgery, <laughs> as well as a little bit of self-confidence, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a, I mean, it is, you know, it, it's a both-hand situation. We're, we're definitely, definitely right. It's definitely uh, part of it. But you've got to think of, you know, what is the thing that Starship UK is specifically ignoring? What length of time is it ignoring it for? Uh, you know, election by election by election. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's still, there's the overall systemic thing. But yeah, thanks, thanks for engaging with us on that. And uh, yeah, keep them coming. Cool. And I just want to highlight one more just because it was an amusing one. And it's something we didn't, I think, talk about much in the pod. Um, It's from Unearthly Doctor. And they say Mm -hmm. the fact Northern Ireland was still on that (laughs) ship, that cafe into the future rubbed me the wrong way. Which I thought, yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting thing this uh, episode sort of consciously did. It was like the Starship UK and, you know, Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's sort of not something that we've ever thought. This is the, another thing that sort of makes this uh, instantly dated post-Brexit, right? I think post-Brexit, mm. a lot of people started to realize that maybe, hey, maybe Northern Ireland would be uh, a lot better off with the South. And, you know, the, the, the numbers for any potential referendum started to turn um, after Brexit. So, yeah, it, uh, I definitely would uh, would suggest that it is, if you remade that today, you would have a United Ireland spaceship um, and a uh, and Scotland would have gone its own way. And maybe it's an England and Wales spaceship uh, mm. if, the, if the Welsh can't get it together to leave uh, in, in time. Um, but, yeah, yeah, cool. Starship well, maybe, England... Maybe- Maybe something else happens in the far future after that, and then it sort of brings Northern Ireland back in the fold. I don't know. You can make up make up a lot of things to do these retcons, but thanks for the comment, Unearthly Doctor. Really great to see the engagement. 
Um, also follow us on Twitter and Instagram where uh, there's more happening there too. We're at pull to open 63 loving all the conversation. Keep it coming. All right. Well, I think we need to start talking about blink at some point, unless we there's do. any other business, uh, which I don't think there is because we've just passed the 59th anniversary of Dr. Who. Happy 59th Bar- birthday. Doctor. Happy 59th, but barely a whisper from the show. A lot of people were thinking they would drop at least a little bit of news or something special. Mm, but mm-hmm. all we got, as far as I could tell, were a couple of very short videos of David Tennant and Catherine Tate just saying happy Doctor Who Day. Which which is fine, which is yeah. fine. And we, we may find out once we uh, examine those messages that there is cryptic uh, information buried within the framework of the code. That's that said that no, I don't think it's going to be anything like that. I think that we are just entering a long and fallow period. You know, they, mm. they have teased us enough as, as our wonderful reviewer pointed out. Um, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to be a who fan again, because tenant is back and that sort of instantly makes who cool in the wider culture again. Right. Um, I, I watched blink with a friend who reminded them that, uh, the David Tennant is coming back and it's sort of, you know, <laughs> you, you have this sort of pride in being a who fan again. Uh, you know, whether or not tenant is your favorite doctor, he is certainly that the modern world's most, uh, widely known, um, right. You know, from modern who. So, um, yeah, it's 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 good stuff, and uh, I'm excited to get to this one. Yeah, absolutely. So, the only thing, other thing I saw in the world of Doctor Who news was that there is a rumor, and I'm reluctant to even bring it up, that Phoebe Waller Bridge mm. uh, of Fleabag fame, right, uh, may be doing something for the show. It's a little vague on what it is. Presumably, she'd just be writing an episode or doing something in the, along the lines of what. Neil Gaiman is done sort of not just doing one episode, but doing something that is a clearly like a special episode in some way. Yeah. Um, don't know if there's any truth to that. Don't know. Well, what's I mean, happening. it's, you know, it's from the daily mail. So, so yeah. take it with a grain of salt, but also Phoebe Waller-Bridge, do you remember she was briefly rumored to be the next doctor when, yeah, when it, Jody came along? Uh, I, I don't remember that to be honest with you, but I do remember when, there was a lot of t- they started to talk about who would take over from Chris Chibnall. Some people were saying Phoebe Waller Bridge would be mm. a great choice, but she would. the The issue there being she she kind of has her own stuff, you know. <laughs> like it's she's, she's got a lot of her own projects going on. Yeah, you know, running Doctor mm. Who is a big, big, big deal. And if you're someone like Phoebe Waller Bridge, who's kind of already made it and already have your own projects going on, it's it's just seems like. Would you be willing at that point, this point in her career, to commit to like a three to five year stint doing this other IP? It just seems really mm. unlikely. So I think that wasn't much more than wishful thinking on the part of some fans, yeah. uh, as much as she could bring a really great sort of creative bent to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, God, I would love to see it. I'd love to see a season of Doctor Who written mm. uh, and and a season arc uh, created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, honestly, I, I don't think that she wants to do it. I think she she sees, she would see the burnout uh, yeah. that you get. Uh, you know, you, it was evident in RTD and Moffat and Chibnall when they left. It's, it's like this show takes a lot of your creative energy. You have to be really committed to it. And love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Don't know how huge of a who fan she is yeah, that's the other one right she'd be mm-hmm. the if she did do it she'd be the first one 
showrunner in the new era to not really be a fan of the show. So again, I don't know. Like, I, I just not maniacal, heard. like writing yeah. into Doctor Who magazine as a kid kind of level of fandom. Which exactly. The, the three were. Anyway, um, interesting rumor. Um, mm. It's interesting mm. that it comes on the, this is probably pure coincidence, uh, like a few days after or right around the same time that the trailer for the fifth and presumably final Indiana Jones movie has dropped. Oh. And she obviously has a big role in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe it's just people, her people trying to hype her up. I don't know. I mean, it's possible she's writing an episode, you know, it's it's an uh, interesting fact about Blink, not to get too deep into it yet before the TLDW, but it, it was written while uh, Stephen Moffat was um, uh, creating a show called Jekyll. Mm. Uh, so he was, he barely even remembers writing Blink, right? That it was so fast. It just, <laughs> it was, you know, it's, it's definitely that one, you want something done, give it to a busy person. I imagine Phoebe Waller-Bridge is so on fire right now. She could churn out a great episode and not even remember, remember that she did. <laughs> Man, yeah. that title is having multiple meanings already. Boom, <laughs> Blink, you miss it. Um, anyway, <laughs> interesting stuff. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, feel free to comment about it at some point. We might um, read your comment out on the podcast. Yes, please do. All right. Speaking of TLDW, I think it's time. It's time. It is time to transition, oh guys, into talking about the episode of Blink. And we always, always start our commentaries by summarizing the plot in record time of the story in question. And for New Who... We allocate a full minute for every episode that is, well, every episode that is in the usual format, which is roughly 45 to 50 minutes. Mm. And the person doing TLDW this week, as we've already said, is you, sir. And this is a tough one because Blink, my God, it is, we'll get into this as well, but it's like a TARDIS in that it contains, it's much bigger on the inside. It contains so many stories within it. So many ways that I could fall down rabbit holes, as we often do in TLDW, but also like just following the actual plot yeah. is is a rabbit hole. So and everything intersects in weird, unexpected ways that does. you feel probably the need to explain as you do it. So I would just encourage. Don't worry about the intersection so much. If I had a tip on this one, just throw it all out can, there. Can, can I just say it's a big timey, wibbly, wibbly, bobbly ball of stuff. <laughs> that, and that's it. That's my summary. Boom. The, the three second summary. We've done it. Okay. That's good. Right to no, right. you can't do yeah. that. Damn it. Damn it. I'm going to do it for real. In am, I, am I allowed to blink <laughs> is my question. Am I allowed to blink while doing this? Tell you what, I won't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm ready. I'm doing it on the fly. Right, here we go. The official pull to open summary of Blank begins in three, two, one, go. So Sally Sparrow and her friend Kathy Nightingale are investigating magical Western drumlins uh, because uh, Sally received a mysterious message from the doctor there. Uh, but Kathy encounters an angel and she's uh, t- sent back into 1920. And uh, then there's a uh, message for Sally Sparrow at the door. It's a letter from Kathy uh, in, uh, who's just died saying, uh, this, is, this is my grandson. And uh, so uh, she goes off to tell her brother, uh, Kathy's brother, uh, uh, Larry Nightingale, who runs a DVD store. It's got all these DVDs. D- 
received the Easter eggs of the Doctor, uh, 17 of them. They turn out to be uh, Sally Sparrow's uh, DVDs, but she doesn't know that until she goes to the police to tell uh, Detective Inspector Shipton, um, who uh, then is captured by the Angels himself, sent back into the past in 1969, puts the Easter eggs on the DVDs, uh, which uh, Sally and Larry then take to the house to Western Drumlin, and uh, they they escape the Angels. The Angels have the blue box, but Sally has the key. She sends the TARDIS back to the Doctor, and the Angels are looking at each other forever, and that's it, the Doctor. Uh, Sally's folder a year later. Not bad, though. Not bad. Ooh. You got it in about what, a minute and three seconds. Almost All right. got to the folder, the bootstrap paradox. I, I don't think I've ever heard you talk faster. <laughs> you did it. You, you packed so much in there. That was pretty good. That was a, high, a very dense one. I think if you did a word count, it was probably a record for a single new who episode. So great you, job. You know, you know what I'm realizing we should do for these DWs is I should wear a heart rate monitor <laughs> where I'm doing it. My heart oh, is, that is pounding awesome. right now. That would pounding. We have to, Oh, that's a great <laughs> idea. I've got, I've got an Apple watch. So yeah, we could, we could do that. We got to start doing that. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Let me, you, you talk, uh, Pete, about anything <laughs> that I missed out while I, while I check out what my current heart rate is. Uh, what, uh, I don't uh, know what you did list. I, I was 113 on- BPM, Pete. That's <laughs> this got me into yeah, an exercise wow, zone. Um, yeah. Honestly, for the first little bit, I was probably a little out of sort. We're not 100% paying attention to the exact words you were saying because I was trying to focus on not blinking. And I succeeded <laughs> for about three seconds, I think. And then I tried to do it again. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing this. Uh, so <laughs> eagle-eyed viewers on YouTube are like, hey, wait a minute. You said you wouldn't blink. No, I blinked a lot. The angels got me. I'm now yeah. back in the past. <laughs> Please zoom and enhance on Pete's eyes in slow motion as <laughs> as they blink. Um so yeah. Yeah, let's get into it. I mean, this mm. is such a legendary episode for so many reasons. Um, obviously, it's the first appearance of the Weeping Angels, which, yes. um, you know, we could get into that right away. But the angels are one of the most innovative, interesting, creepy monsters that Doctor Who has ever come up with. They were basically an instant classic. Um, yes. And the comparison I would make with the angels, uh, and I'm glad we already did silence of the library uh was mm. be with the the vashta narada where i even said at the time i think it's a great idea for a monster but you never quite see them and then you have these rules with the shadows that make them a little too powerful and it, it's a great idea it's really creepy it didn't ruin the episode but there's a reason the vashta narada have not come back you know i believe well uh, it's interesting that you should go straight there because did you know that when uh, moffat came up with the idea of the weeping angels that was his first idea for where they could slot in to his scripts was in hmm. silence of the library was in place oh, of the vashta narada okay so that's so moffat had basically the idea for the story behind blink which was uh, what sally sparrow did on her Summer Vacation, which was right. a, a story for Doctor Who annual. But that didn't have the Weeping Angels in. The Weeping Angels came from, he was just on vacation somewhere. He saw uh, angels in a graveyard, I believe. Right. I uh, thought how creepy they were, came up with the idea there and then, thought that they were going to go into Silence of the Library, then volunteered to, quote-unquote, jump on the hand grenade 
of season three, as in do the Dr. Light episode, which up right. until that point, nobody had liked the Dr. Light episodes. So Moffat's like, okay, I'll, I'll do this one. And I'll use the Weeping Angels for it. So yeah, he had to come up with the Vashnarada as an angel's substitute. And yeah, they're, they're not quite as good. Yeah, they're not quite as good because I think um, it, it once you lend a little bit of thought to it, it kind of falls apart. Whereas the angels, to sort of complete the the comparison, you, they make sense in your head. The rules are very clear and mm. they work. I mean, like within the confines of a TV show where, you know, there's always things you can pick at, but um, the way the, the way they're defeated and, or even just not necessarily defeated, but stopped, you know, by looking at them is such a genius thing. Yeah. Um, because it's very clear how you do it, but it's also a thing that you can never sustain. It's impossible to sustain it. So, there, in other words, it built into how they work is a way to slow them down, but mm. never really fully defeat them. And it's, it's almost like, like I, I know people say this, it kind of writes itself. Like it's like, holy it cow, it's, it's, it's just incredible. Like uh, I, I got to say, now this is a thing that every single time I watch Blink, every single time, I cannot help but try not to blink. Agreed. When the characters are not try- are trying not to blink. It's just yes. uh, you just do it. You just like okay, let's see if I can do it. And it's it's just such a genius genius idea. It is. It's one of those episodes that of of the new show that you think this could have been a uh, a classic Doctor Who story, and it would have mm. been a Stone Cold classic because there's nothing in it that's expensive. Right. There's that's no. True. You know, they they do replicate the number of angels and they do use CGI to freeze them in place because in case you didn't know, and I forget this every time, they were not stone statues. They were people in costumes. Right. Well, two of them were stone statues or or, or some statues of some kind in that they they made two statues for the actual hands in front of faces uh, pose and the one where it's pointing. So in those, when you see the angel sort of pointing, it's a statue, but for all the other moments where their uh, their hands are a little bit down well certainly when they're advancing on sally and larry at the end and they're sort of vamped out mode uh those are those are people those are a couple of actresses yeah uh, and it's astonishing that they managed to say that still but anyway point being that you could have filmed this in 1963 right there's Mm. nothing that could have stopped it yeah no Absolutely. It's such a genius idea for building suspense to your point. Exactly. That you, you, if you have that, so, and the horror movie music kind of writes itself for this yeah. episode as well, right? That the high strings that we get, uh, it's so obvious. It's so good at building suspense and yeah, and it, it's just built around the human need to blink, to shut your eyes, uh, you know, several times a second. Well, and I love the, just the whole conceit that you don't know how they move, what they look like when they're moving. Um, you know, we can talk about what they did in later episodes that that kind of, frankly, almost ruins the idea. But mm. uh, here, you know, the you just you're always imagining something worse than what's actually being shown. And again, built into the entire concept is that you never see it. They will never ever show you what the angels look like when people aren't looking at them because yep, you, can't. You, you, you couldn't do it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it would ruin the whole thing. Um, so yeah, the, the, the angels, I mean, obviously, you know, for all the reasons we just stated are uh, a classic. I mean, it's, it was probably inevitable that they brought them back. Um, 
there and, and they're also yeah. it's it's a classic in terms of the educational nature of Doctor Who. I mean, the, the fact that you know that this is a very interesting, imaginative way to explore an actual fact of quantum physics, right? That the That's act true. of That's observing true. a particle changes the particle. We know that our status in quantum physics experiments is like our observation of an experiment will change the experiment. Well, so there's, there's also like another part of quantum physics um, that expands on that, which is called decoherence, which is an explanation for how the macro world comes out of the micro world. And it, it's more complicated than this, but it's essentially particles can observe each other. You know, so like if a particle needs to know where another particle is to sort of interact properly, that's so in other words, like it, it takes away the the thing where um, do you actually need a conscious person to look at huh. a thing for a thing to be looked at? Not necessarily. But here is where I would like, even though that in a sense might you might think ruins the angel concept, it doesn't. Mm. I think this is where, you know, you, angels looking at each other resolution mm. at the end makes it like that's like. The, the same idea i think so um yeah, yeah, yeah. it totally works yeah they, they are definitely looking at each other even though they are stone and that that does explain that so how many I, I i would love to know how many kids watched this in 2008 and and they like grew up to study quantum physics because, yeah, because it is We're yeah right now the, the, the remit, that is, that is the remit of Doctor Who that it gives us, you know, we were just talking about meat along with the vegetables, right? Uh, <laughs> but here is just one of the most wonderful examples of quantum physics turned into science fiction uh, that I've ever seen in any medium ever. Yeah. Uh, and it, it surely inspired I, some of the kids hiding behind the sofa from the angels. Yeah. It would be really hard to think of something. The only thing, I don't know if this was quantum inspired but i think of the imp infinite improbability drive and yes hitchhiker's guide <laughs> indeed um which was a Doctor sort of Who fun alone, take on douglas adams yeah. randomness um okay so let's i want to get into this since we're talking going deep on the angels right off the bat let's do it so that resolution i think within blue blink with having the angels look at each other really works really makes sense uh it's just kind of like this poetic end to the the whole plot um, however, does it work generally, especially considering we've seen now more angels and more episodes? Like, mm. it's a weird thing to think about when you start thinking about angel society. And again, Blink is great because it doesn't really dwell on that at all. You know, that what this, they're just monsters here and there's right. no sort of what, it, what, it, what does an angel planet look like? Well, it's not relevant here. Well, it becomes relevant later. So mm. how... Do we reconcile this? And maybe we don't need to, but it's fun to think about with the idea that we've seen groups of angels in later episodes, like clearly within each other's field of view. How, how can a race like this even have a society if, if angels can freeze other angels just by looking at them? Does this... Does this work in any way? Is I mean, the, the, there's a line in the episode that, that I'd, I'd forgotten until I rewatched it where they, they get called the lonely assassins. Mm. Um, and that's so evocative. And like a lot of things in Blink, it works because it sparks so much headcanon in in the moment of yeah. saying, yeah, like, oh yeah, lonely assassins. They must have been, you know, especially if they've been here since the beginning of the universe. It is, yeah, it's hard to reconcile later on. And I think part of the problem is that 
the way that who treats the angels starts to get a bit sloppy and mm-hmm, you start to sure. introduce new rules like them coming through the TV screen, um, right. which I always thought was a step too far. Um, well, I get why they did that because mm. you kind of get the idea. Well, if to keep the angels in place, just put a camera in front of it, like a video mm-hmm. camera and keep it running all the time. And then it can never move. Right. And then, um, well, that doesn't work because it, every image of an angel then becomes an angel, mm. um, which <laughs> gives them incredibly uh, great reproductive powers. I'll say that. I mean, all you really need, and, and who hasn't really explored this yet, all you really need is a pair of uh, security guards who've been trained to blink not in unison. <laughs> right? And, well, you and need just... more, probably more than two, but yes. Yeah, well, you, you rotate them through. Uh, yeah. Three three for safety, three for redundancy, yeah. right? And just, just surround the angels at all times. Because that's one thing that gets me in Blink. It's like the, the Blink equivalent of uh, why does nobody ever just go to the police is yeah. why are they not – why are Sally and Larry not trading off Blinks at the right. end? Right. Why are they not working together? Uh, to, to your point of like, how does angel society work together? Uh, like, humans need to work together a little bit or on the, a bit better on the angel front as well. I actually um, listened to the commentary on this one. I'm not sure if you did. So it has Stephen Moffat and Murray Gold. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Moffat doesn't address that directly. And I could sort of chalk that up to um, what, what you might call a lack of training, what you're identifying. But yes, that you think they would be thinking better on their feet um but they do talk about the idea of blinking one eye mm-hmm. and doing that which kind of works but Stephen moffat i think correctly said like you do eventually blink like it's not it actually doesn't quite work um yeah well i do feel like at some point you're just kind of like you got you're going to have one eye closed and you're going to blink because it, you, you, your eyes aren't used to that. Um, I do think they used that at some point in one of the later episodes. I'd sort of vaguely remembering Amy or someone do, doing the one eye other mm-hmm. thing and trying to do it. Uh, and it probably would work for a few seconds, but it's not uh, It's not a reliable thing. Um, it's not. And you'd have problems with depth perception. You couldn't move and do that very well. Um yeah. But yeah, it's so it's interesting. I I, I want to focus more on Blink and, and just sort of the inconsistencies of angel logic within this episode, mm-hmm. because I, we haven't really talked about the cold open. I I did not fall in that rabbit hole during TLDW. Good job. Uh, but, but thank you. The cold open is this sort of improbable thing of of Sally Sparrow uncovering wallpaper, a message from the Doctor under the wallpaper from 1969 that is just timed perfectly and keeps telling her to duck. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. seriously, duck. And she finally does duck. A rock hits her. The, the angel has thrown it. But she's had her back to that angel all the time. So. Right. What is, what are the rules ah, okay. here? So this, I'm, I'm guiding myself a little bit by what, what Moffat said on the commentary, mm-hmm. as well as what I think makes sense. So in the commentary, he talks about like, why is it throwing a rock at her just generally? Well, because. Mm is someone as a, as a creature that is rendered uh immobile by simply being looked at you a good tactic at hunting people would be knocking them out first um yeah. so that they don't uh you know they're simply <laughs> unconscious and they can't look at anything Indeed. so that's smart um and i would guess that he, as even though they move super fast and 
that there's always that chance. And I'll bet many angels this has happened to, because it does happen to at least one of them with respect to Kathy and, and others later. Mm. You're stopped at the last second, right? Because it's kind of like you 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 would probably like, okay, I'm gonna run up. And once that once that happens to you as an angel, the jig is up. Like because yeah. suddenly, because that statue wasn't there before, someone's gonna be staring at you. And yes, they might blink, but there's also a chance they'll just kind of get away. So what they've probably discovered over time is that, well, it's probably just better to to throw the rock um, and you knock them out or just use that in general as opposed to doing the what they would consider hand-to-hand. So that's that's mm-hmm. my headcanon on why the angels aren't constantly just jumping up to people and like <laughs> rendering... Because otherwise it just doesn't work, right? Because there is probably... Because we have peripheral vision. Like, I think mm-hmm. the the field with which they can actually do their thing is probably narrower than you would think, you know, because if you see them in the peripheral vision, that still counts as seeing them. So they're going to have to really come up right behind your head and hope you don't even turn your head a little. And it works most of the time. um, But for those times that it doesn't, then you're screwed. Like then they know you're there and they're going to do everything they can to get away or stop you. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that's the sort of the thing that stops me on a repeat viewing. The the, the flaw that I see is this: it just doesn't. You don't quite get a sense within Blink of how fast do angels move, like what is yeah. the consistent speed, because there is there are times when they're just like when uh, Larry and, and Sally are in the house or in West Germans at the end. By the way, why did they go back to that? There, that might be the other. Uh, you know, why don't you just go to the police moment? Why don't you stay out of the scary Scooby Doo mansion? <laughs> I thought so it was like, meet me there with the DVD player. Yes. <laughs> and it's a little like, wh- why are you going there? Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. there's no real reason for it. So the angels are already in the house, uh, but for some reason they leave uh, Sally and Larry uh, oodles of time to set up this video and watch it and make jokes about it. And, you know, yeah, like, maybe so they were off somewhere. Um, and I guess if I'm reaching for explanations of why they went there, like she's trying to find the TARDIS because it's mm. been taken and it's um, the key to this. I mean, she has the key. Yes. So she's trying to find where it is. And, you know, this is the best lead she has. Good point. Um, so that's, that's again, it's kind of headcanon, but it makes some sense to me, even though she doesn't seem to consider the incredible danger she's going to be in, which she should mm-hmm. know about by now. And how does the TARDIS move from the police, it was in the police station, but then the angels get it and they bring it to the basement of us. How does that happen? Uh, movers, angel movers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe this is the Clara Splinter coming in. Uh, we'll, we'll get to her. But well, I think you have to presume a certain amount of like superhuman strength uh, on mm. the part of the angels' part, right? They just basically grab the the TARDIS and take it, and they can't the f- get in it. But yeah. clearly, that's what happened. So, um, so they're very good at lifting with their knees. Um, they <laughs> evidently nobody. It's it's during the rainstorm, so nobody in this uh, town is paying attention to them. Just, yeah, you have to headcanon it that they're in terms of, and also their speed, even though they're incredibly fast, you really need to head like she blinks the statues. She sees the statues on the uh, ledge mm. across the way. Mm-hmm. She blinks and they're gone. I think you kind of have to assume a certain amount. They're, they're just out of her field of view now that like they haven't 
literally climbed up in a blink of an eye to the windows where she's at and got in those other poses. I think there needs to be a little bit of presumption that what we haven't seen, and yes, they are super fast, but they're not so fast that they can, you know, they can literally go around the world or whatever in, in a split second, which seems to be a little bit implied. So I think they're doing some of that, obviously for scared to, to, to freak kid freak you out a little bit more mm. really convey how formidable they are, but really like it to really make it work in your head. I think you have to kind of dial back parts of this just a bit. Yeah. I do, I do love the idea of angel movers. <laughs> just, and of course, <laughs> if, if someone sees them out on the street, they're just like, you know, they're, they're all kind of holding yeah, this TARDIS performance art. You yeah. Know, we've all seen that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, you know those benches with the statues on them. Which it must be something. Must be something to do with that T-shirt I keep seeing. The angels have the blue box. It's yeah, obviously it's all tied is. in. It's all tied in. Uh, but I also love the idea that angel movers are a bit like now. Remember, lift with your knees and nobody look at each other. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll be put your blindfolds on. <laughs> we'll be stuck for another thousand years. Wear those damn blinkers. Speaking <laughs> of, you think they would have? You know how horses have. Um, blinds yeah. or you blinkers know, uh, blinker they are called blinkers it's perfect yeah, yeah. for this episode you'd think the angels that would be just standard issue you know they would <laughs> yeah. have these really narrow blinkers on them so they can't uh see each other or uh, something like that uh, yeah get away from the problem that obviously uh thwarts them at the end yeah they, they need some sort of uh, special glasses that they wear that kind of just fuzz out other other angels so they're not actually seeing them yeah. Like uh, I'm thinking in uh, Black Mirror, wasn't there that episode, the Christmas episode, where there's this world where you can just not see people, you can mm. you can literally cancel them, yeah, um, they just they go gray. Like the, the angels need that technology. Um, <laughs> maybe that's how they're able to function together. As a hey, don't give them ideas. Um, <laughs> I want to hey, ask they, you. So they've been around since the dawn of the universe. That's all. I if they haven't come up with that idea yet, that's on them. I felt like the one of the freakiest things about the angels was simply their blank expressions. You know, they're mm. these statues and the eyes have no pupils. And toward the end, as as we all know, they sort of vamp out. They get this yeah. crazy fang expression and they're like looking really scary, which is kind of cool the mo- the first time you see it. You're just like, well, it's a good it's a good mm-hmm. little jump scare. But it's the I jump also, cut, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. Do you like that? I kind of feel like it's not needed. I feel like they're scary enough, and just having a statue there, staring at you with its blank expression, would have been fine. Uh, it doesn't ruin the angels at all, but I just thought it was a little too much. Maybe upon repeated viewing, I don't know. What did you think? No, I disagree. I think you absolutely need to up the ante to make this the scariest thing ever. You need to have the jump scare because here is a legitimate reason for jump scares. You don't always get a legitimate reason in horror. You have to really, you know, but here, like the the, the use of the light bulb at the end to create Mm, jump scare after jump scare after jump scare, it really just does have to up the ante. And there's nothing scarier than suddenly having a bunch of teeth in your face. Mm, right that is yeah. that is so primal it's true. it's true so primal it gets it at the brainstem level and it makes sense because that must be the one thing that every creature in the evolution of this planet fears is a bunch of teeth right in front of your face so i think to, to add that to the angels it really just sort of contrasts with the idea you know uh, that they are these sort of peaceful serene statues 
Um, Who kill you nicely. Yes. (laughs) And that does, I I do want to, since we've done the cold open, I don't want to get too far away from TLDW without also mentioning the, uh, the thing at the end, which seems like it's a teaser for a whole series of, statue destruction <laughs> squad oh, yeah um it it what did you think so that was a russell t davies edition right this is or right there were several possible endings that they didn't yes. do we'll get to that but this was basically davies idea um uh, to well first of all to name the episode blink because it mm. wasn't well that's inspired uh, Yes, he and he was the, he was the one who was like no blink needs to be all over the script of this episode like it's trailer Mm. Uh, and Moffat certainly took that note to heart. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> so talk about the Doctor Who Beatles. I mean, they really fed off each other for this one. Um, but that thing at the end is very yeah. RTD as well. It's sort of like leaving it open. And it's like, it's, I remember the feeling this the very first time I saw it in 2008. I was like, that was a brilliant episode. This is just going to make kids go out into the streets with sledgehammers and start smashing all the statues that they could see because they're so terrified. Like, what are you trying to do here? Yeah, I hear you. I, it still came across to me like a little condescending and dumb. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's not bad, but it is like, okay, Russell. Or and I, I thought I thought it was actually thought it was Moffat. So I was like, okay, Stephen. Um, <laughs> which is, I, it, it yeah. sort of makes the point that you don't need, you don't really need, right? It's almost like, would you end mm. Psycho with shots of showers all over the place, right? right? Like, you just wouldn't do it. I mean, I get it. I'm supposed to just kitchen shower nice. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean... You, you could, the the scare will happen regardless. So I, yeah, it was over mm. the top. I, I think it's still it's over the top, work. and also I think it's it's a rare misstep by RTD because he doesn't under it means that he doesn't really understand what is scary about the episode. Which to your point earlier, the scary thing is not the Weeping Angels. They are phenomenally scary, but you don't then sort of expand it by saying, oh no, they're just all statues because that's just like too too big of an expansion or like yeah. maybe any statue is a weeping angel. No, what's scary is the not being able to blink. So yeah. that's the thing. And that is what we get when uh, that's by the way, what the screenshot behind me is right from is right. <laughs> the, the stuff at the end of the episode where the doctor is just in your face on the screen. And then the right. last shot is him blinking. That part is nice. So him saying, don't blink is great. Intercutting it with the, uh, images of all statues so that all kids are forever scared of all statues that they see anywhere ever. Um, yeah, yeah. Not so great. Do you want to talk about the alternate endings, at least one of them that yeah. I know about? Because it. it's a good, because when I, when you were talking about inter, the intercut, I thought it would be an interesting coda to the dark ending that I believe was the mm. original ending. So according to, uh, I think Stephen Moffat shared this at some point that yeah. his original ending had Sally giving the doctor her folder going back to the shop and there was an angel there and essentially Larry would come to find her and she'd be gone, you know? And so then she, he'd look at a a painting yes, and he would see her there and, you know, ostensibly the painting was done in the past. Right. So she was taken by the angel. So that's a dark ending. And, um, but I kind of like it. Um, I wouldn't say I, I would prefer it. I, like that they win definitively here. Mm. I like that. You got to do that um, a lot of the time. But as sort of a fan of horror movies and w- when you have the dark turn at the end, 
um, that sort of gut punches you. I don't know. That can work. I, I got to say those kind of horror movies tend to stay with me. So it depends on kind of what you're trying to achieve ultimately with the feeling you want your audience to walk away with. Uh, I, I think I the know. problem the problem with that ending uh, is it really puts a lot of burden on that painting um, that, mm. that you know that, that Larry looks at at the end and realizes that Sally, Sally's been in it all along. First of all, you have to believe that he wouldn't have ever seen that painting before, right. or ever noticed that it looked like Sally, or ever mentioned it. Or and yes, it's an antiquities store, so you have antiquities and and DVDs. Well, putting, I believe putting that aside, but, right? Like mm-hmm. I think you could sort of write around that a little bit by having it not necessarily be in the store, but maybe something that he sees a little later. And you or know what maybe I mean? like, it's a package that he unwraps. Like he's he's it's been a thing throughout the episode that he's behind on is unwrapping his inventory, right? Oh and yeah, he unwraps the latest thing. Got a bunch and of that, piled up mail, yeah. That would be nice because that would echo the, the Kathy Nightingale letter mm-hmm. and yeah. the way that that's revealed. So I kind of like that idea. Um, we should also mention the other alternate ending would have revealed that uh, Sally was actually not interested in Larry, uh, mm. that she was actually interested in women. And it, there, there was some uh, line about um, uh, Larry saying, you know, it's what's wrong. We, you know, uh, we live together. I, oh, I held... Uh, when they hold hands, he mentioned something like, well, that's nothing. I held hands with my aunt and she says something like, Oh, well, you know, maybe your aunt's cuter than you are, but it's something that gives us the idea <laughs> okay. that Sally was actually not interested in Larry all along right, because right. she's not interested in men, um, which is, would be interesting, right. bit of extra representation, but also it just kind of, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that they get their happy ending. Yeah, agreed. And I think it is a, they clearly have bonded through their experience. Mm. And, um, well, I guess I would ask you again, like, like, what do you make of that? They haven't essentially, I wouldn't consummate. It's probably the wrong word, but they haven't made each other official until the end. It feels like, right? Like she's dealing with this, but once she encounters the doctor and she has that closure, she sort of feels like she can feel again, I guess. Which I yeah. think works. I mean, it I, does. Yeah, it, totally. So, it works like crazy. That's that's why I'm glad that, that we stuck with the ending where they actually do get to be together in the end. Uh, because you do. Uh, the great thing about Blink is it has so many mini stories within it. I, I, I've said that at the, the start of the show, but like this is one of them. You insert just mm. the cleverness of the script means that you insert in that one year that separates the two things. By the way, they took the title card out. Now and officially in the show, but it is supposed to be one year later. Oh yeah, scene, depends right? which version you watch. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, one, one. Let's just say it's canon that it's a year later. It means that for a year she's been unable to move on because mm. she's waiting for the doctor, and I like that because it's such a thing that we see time and time and time again in Doctor Who that his companions, as it were, and we should call Sally Sparrow a companion, sort of, because she, she sort of takes. Was. She almost, almost takes a trip in the TARDIS. Yeah. She suddenly goes into the TARDIS, as does Larry, um, you know, which we, we often forget. I did forget that watching Blink, that there's a moment with them in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yet yeah, you often see companions not able to move on. I mean, that's such a common thing to talk about in the context of Doctor Who, that it was, uh, you know, a thing for Power of the Doctor, right? The, the yeah. companion support group, you can't go back to ordinary life. So we've seen time again, uh, people being blocked, by oh, Sarah, yeah, Sarah as well. She never married. Like 
basically said no one else could compare. Um, so this so there was all that. reaches in to the mythology of the, of the larger show. And it says, you know, this, this, we're going to give you a clean ending here. Sally Sparrow is not going to spend the rest of their days being hung up on the doctor, waiting for the doctor, like some, you know, uh, prequel version of Amy Pond. She's, you know, she's, it's one year and done. You know, she gets yeah, and, a doctor meeting moment. And in that moment, she realizes that she's with the man she, that she's supposed to be with, not the doctor. And it, exactly. And I think mm. you, it, it's almost like the second ending, like the climax mm. is very clever and just, just feels so right from a plot standpoint, but the, the emotional resonance comes later and it sort of, wor- it really works. I mean, I really like that they mm. even play the 10th doctor's theme even though there's not really a lot happening, right? Like it's yeah. like he's just kind of walking away. Nice to meet you, Sally Sparrow. But you, you, you're really feeling what this is meaning for her. Like suddenly it all fits. My, my life makes sense. This is this is it. You yes. know? Okay. Well, I, this is all I need. You go save the world, and I'm I'm here with with Larry. What is amazing is that that is the third of what feels like fully fleshed out love affairs. In this forty-five minute science fiction <laughs> yeah, horror, the third, holy cow, Kathy, you know, goes back to nineteen twenty. Yeah. You know, just the the economy of those lines. Do you do you th- are you going to stop following me? No, I don't think I will. Uh, right, sm- smash cut into marriage. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow, you believe it? And then I, I got to say, yeah, the actress I got, is great. I got to say, and, and Pete, I got to ask you about this. Did did you also cry again at Billy Shipton? Yeah, the older really Billy Shipton. You. I, oh I feel my like, god! I don't know. Again, like the 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 sheer economy of this episode mm-hmm. of like fleshing out characters so quickly um, and really um, getting you to feel for them is incredible. And old Billy, mm. um, they made so many right calls because, uh, as uh, I think is widely known, or maybe it's not, but it's like they we're originally going to have the younger actor um, in old age uh, makeup. Yeah. He, they were going to have him in old age makeup, but in, yeah. and they thought, well, Michael you know Opiora. Yeah. It's, it's the right in that you would just sort of be seeing the makeup to some extent. Like, yes, as an audience member, you'd be going along with it. You wouldn't necessarily say that ruins the show, but you wouldn't notice it would be, it would take you a little bit out of the show. So they decided, you know, let's recast and make sure she's actually talking to an elderly person. Mm. Um, and uh, so the right call, like it was just, you're right there in the moment. Um, the, her line, it's the same rain, like just yeah. hits for Ugh. some reason. Cause it's not, and so weird that it hits because it's, it's sort of almost like a plot line, but it is like, it's, it's, it's just like you, you, you're reminded in just that one line, what has sort of been robbed from Billy, right? Yes. This, they could have been this amazing couple and have a great love affair and or whatever right like and you're just you're so sad for them but you're sort of happy they're reunited like the emotions yeah. again we've barely gotten to know that's not even the main characters here right? and, like, and he shows her his wedding photo of a woman yes. who is also named sally and he and they you get the sense that they just spend hours there just going through his life and sharing his life hmm. and the 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 Blind that sends chills down my spine, even thinking of it now. And the one that really triggered my tears was, oh, Sally Sparrow, life is long and you are hot. Mm-hmm. And just the will, yeah. the weariness, 
the weariness in that line is just oh it speaks volumes and big shout out to to lewis mahoney who played uh old billy he was mm-hmm. uh, we've mentioned him before and i believe planet of evil he was in and that's when oh. i discovered that that he did yes. actually die in 2020 oh. uh, sadly r.i.p um we don't know uh whether it was raining at the time uh or whether mm. you know he wishes the end of the rain, but yes, I, I, it's impossible to tell that that uh, those lines have been looped so that a young guy, right. Michael, is uh, playing him with a, a Ghanaian accent to to match Lewis Mahoney. Yeah, because uh, on set he was doing it basically in a London accent or his own yeah. accent. Which and, is such yeah. an inspired choice, by the way, because I think in a London accent, his sort of very fast hitting on Sally Sparrow might come across as a bit more creepy. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I think. But in the exotic Ghana accent, it's just like, oh, yeah, no, like this guy is, you can believe that she would fall for him, that she'd go for, you know, not only does he look cute, but he has an exotic accent. Like, it it just ups the ante, right? One of a a number of just sort of, you know, happy accidents that that Mm -hmm. Blink has produced. What did you think? Did it bother you at all that there's no explanation for why he dies until at the end of the reign, like basically right then and there? Um, well, here's, uh, here's what I would say. There is an explanation and there's an explanation for literally every timey wimey plot hole you can find in this episode, which is tell. Sally Sparrow wrote it all down. Right. It's she, classic bootstrap paradox. Yes, right? It's classic bootstrap paradox. There is no original project. So because Sally writes that Billy dies when the rain ends, presumably, um, mm. you know, in telling the whole story to the doctor, then the doctor tells Billy that. So Billy, no. So not only is Billy sort of his, his body is like expecting this, his entire life, you know, yeah. he knows when he's going to die and his body's, you, you know, this thing, you know, uh, when, when <laughs> we, when we get himself. that old, it just, yeah, you, you <laughs> yeah. just sort of, yeah. And, and he's ready, you know, you, you get that sense at the end that he's like super peaceful and ready to go. And like, he knew he would have this to look forward to. And it's, it's beautiful. So you can believe that not only is it bootstrap paradox that that she it happens because she said he'd do it so he knows that he's going to do it so he does it so because so that she can say that she does it uh it, it's part of that and it's part of the way that we adapt to what we know is our fate um mm. even even if it wasn't necessarily our fate like this episode is really deep things to say about is everything preordained you know the whole yeah. willpower uh, do, do we even have free will debate like this is you wouldn't necessarily like we've touched on so many things it's romance it's it's quantum physics it's but it's also this intense ontological debate uh, oh, yeah. about free will which comes to um, a crescendo in the scene at the house where she's talking to the doctor hmm. um, with those dvd extras and you know it's it such a genius um again Moffat, i mean I, it's hard to not sound like we're just heaping praise on the guy but honestly <laughs> this is such a classic piece of uh, television like oh so good but mm. that bit where they're they're basically a talk, talking to each other across time and yeah. it's it's such a classic moment like i mean it's one of the most memorable scenes in all of doctor who for one how it's just executed and and sort of perfectly sums up the story but also mm. that line where he says, okay, time isn't linear. It's a blob of, I, I should get have the quote in front of me, but he basically, it's the first time he fully says, it's timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff. Yes, Which big bull. Is, is so tenant and so doctory. Mm. 
as well as kind of a real thing. I, I know it's, mm. you know, this is very artful, but it is, if you read, say, the works of, say, Brian Greene, who is a very, you know, good uh, pop, not really pop, but like mainstream um, science writer. Right. It, 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 you you kind of get your mind blown on how every point in t- space time is, mm-hmm. in a sense, connected to every other point in space time um, for, you know, reasons of universe expansion, the speed of light, et cetera. I, I won't go into all of it here, but if you've read his stuff, you know what I'm talking about. It really expands your mind on sort of reality. And that's mm. really like kind of what doc- the doctors get. And, and, and so, again, the economy. In so few lines, he sums up that whole idea, which yeah. is a real scientific concept of like what time and time is, time and space is. Yeah, so it's like he has space. that whole line about people assume time is a linear progression, cause right. and effect. But no, it's actually more of a wibbly wobbly ball of stuff. Which, uh, yeah, again, great sort of uh, explanation of like uh, string theory. Uh, dimensions yeah. <laughs> are definitely a wibbly wobbly ball of stuff. Uh, is good an explanation as any that we're actually going to understand? Um, mm. But yeah, I do want to say a few things before before we leave. Detector Inspector Billy Shipton, mm-hmm. uh, who is now off duty, so he's just Billy. Um, that uh, first of all, I really want to see a. Uh, uh, a spin-off series and um i'm i'm saddened that big finish hasn't already gotten off this like mm. uh, because billy shipton let's give him credit he you could arguably say he's the doctor's longest working companion yeah he yeah. helps the doctor sure. unfold a scheme that lasts for 39 years so mm. come come at me jamie some at me come at me sarah jane <laughs> if you think that you did the doctor more service than 39 years and 17 dvd easter eggs it depends if you include the novels and comics i guess but yes <laughs> um uh, no it's true it, i mean he's he's he, if he was never really a companion um i think you you need to really think that through right because it's like uh i think he earns it yeah, yeah. at least an honorable mention he really does. Um, More than and, Adam, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> he totally, even though he doesn't get a trip in the TARDIS himself, he gets to hang out with the Doctor in 1969, and for who knows how long after. Like, I'd love to see the timeline on mm. when that, when those moments with the Doctor worked. When did he go into the studio to record this? Like, is is that in right. 1969 itself? And then how did? But like, I, I want to see the spinoff of of. Uh, you know, Billy Shipton in nineties, like you could have a whole series per year that he lives, you know, maybe, maybe not that much, not that in depth, but it's still, you know, like what, what would he have had to struggle against? How did he insert these Easter eggs? You know, what, what if the directors or the studios came after him? Well, you know, it's uh, funny. The, um, Moffat expands very slightly on what his life was like in the commentary. Yeah. And he mentions that the doctor, you know, sort essentially gives him some stock tips so that mm. he can mm. go and be a successful person and comfortable. Um, but I think this within this grain that Moffat has thrown at thrown at us, it fixes another plot hole. And it, indulge me for a second, but if you think Please. about all the people who disappeared at Western Drumlands, mm. why have none of them made trouble in the timeline? You know, why has no one said like, what, what am I doing here? Why is no, why don't we know about them at all? And here's my thinking that when they go back, they, uh, probably have a difficult time early, but then they realize Mm -hmm. there's nothing they can do, but then they realize, you know what? I can use my future knowledge 
Like, yeah. and, and in other words, I don't need stock tips, but Billy probably mm. doesn't need stock tips. It's like, wait a minute, I'm in 1969. You know what? There's these companies, I believe, called Intel and <laughs> Apple and yeah. others that he, all you have to do is get in early and you are very leading a very comfortable life for the rest of your life. Uh, no matter what timeline you're in, so uh, this is kind of uh, this is kind of my headcanon on like how um, angel victims are sort of killed nicely, but also like how they they are not constantly disrupting the timeline. That that is a good one, I guess, because now as you were saying that, I started to get mad with Kathy uh, mm. Nightingale for going back to 1920 and not killing Hitler. Oh, wow. Maybe I the, mean, the angels avoid those activist types. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, would it have been so hard uh, once you've married this guy from Hull to just say, you know what, for our honeymoon, let's go to Munich. Mm. Um, there's this, I, I want to sort of check out the political scene there. Oh, well, who's this guy ranting in a beer cellar, this former corporal? <laughs> uh, he looks Let me see dangerous. that Luger. Yeah. Yes. Or maybe just drink him to death, like, or put, right. put a roofie him, and then just just kill him off that way. Because that would be that's three years prior, nineteen twenty three, mm. prior to the Munich beer, beer hall putsch. It would be so easy to take Hitler out. There's some tips age, for so. your future angel victims. Yeah, if you yeah. happen to be, and, and and we sort of get it, it is kind of canon from Blink, right? That the angel, the same angel, will send you back to the same time. Right. Yeah era so there must be other people who were sent back to 1920 so yeah if that's one of the angel setting settings that they're on um yeah you know, like, let's I, uh do go straight to munich please i, li- I like that explanation too with the their angels are sort of attuned to a certain year and it probably has to do mm. with their own age you know there's probably so you don't make up whatever you want but mm. um it obviously fixes the thing in the plot makes them not makes them seem also less omnipotent right that like Mm. they could sort of attenuate that and send you whenever that would be a little too powerful i like it it sounds a little more like this this thing that is clearly like uh a show made up concept (laughs) makes a little more believable that this is like an actual race Um, you totally believe that it is the genius of blink is that any time you you think that you might have a moment for your brain to say stop hang on let me think of no the show has moved on and you've swallowed another three concepts somehow (laughs) almost (laughs) against your will uh which is i think moffat got too confident because of blink that people would swallow concepts very fast yeah um he doesn't necessarily understand what he did here. And one thing he does do, by the way, is repeat anything that is important is repeated twice. That's there's a very good sort of uh, script uh, tip, right? Mm, if you want your audience to be paying attention to something, you somehow work out a way to say it twice in the script, um, and just assume mm. they didn't pay attention the first time. Um, and that, and you, that happens you, over and over again here, over and, and over. You're thinking of obviously the the bl- no blinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is that is one a lot um <laughs> but anything else specifically oh god uh the uh you know the fact that we get some of the dvd conversation twice explaining the nature of time oh that's right yeah that's definitely a big one the the seven t- the fact that they are 17 dvds kind mm-hmm. of is repeated yep. over and over and you see moffat doing that a lot he did that in uh, i don't know if you've seen inside man uh, no. The new the Moffat thing on uh, Netflix, but the opening episode they have a they have Stanley Tucci solving a mystery 
where it's like a certain amount of money is deposited in the senator's wife's bank account every time they have sex. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those clever Moffaty things. But he does this where he's like, repeats the riddle over and over. Why 17 DVDs? Why 17 DVDs? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah. So you see him doing that. And yeah, almost anything in this episode that's important. Uh, even even telling Sally Sparrow to duck in the cold open happens yeah. twice. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, so much good writing. I mean, Moffat, one of the things he does here, obviously we talked about, you know, the ontological, um, implications, the bootstrap paradox. Mm -hmm. This is really his a game when it comes to sort of playing with time. You know, he he does a lot of that. Stephen Moffat, I got to say, whatever you think of as a, as a showrunner, he's probably the showrunner that has, um, uh, explored the time travel aspect of Doctor Who the most yeah. and pro- probably the best. And it's um, it's a really impressive record that he has, like with this, um, with Pandora Opens, The Big Bang, he, and it, it, even just the whole conceit of River Song. Yes. Encountering the Doctor backwards. And I really would love to... I hope the the rumor that we talked about in an earlier podcast that he's coming back with RTD again, sort of mm. the Beatles, the bands back together was good. And I hope he does this some more um, because I feel like we've, we we haven't quite had that. You know, we kind of went when yeah. I wouldn't say, you know, there's a lot that we could say about the Chibnall era, but it sort of didn't have quite that same sort of um, mind warp, mind warpy cleverness in playing yes. with time travel. And uh, yeah, Chibnall kind of wants to be that. That is what's suggested to me by the whole timeless child thing. Like he wants to be Moffat in some ways, but you can't only, you you know, you can't out Moffat Moffat. And uh, he is Moffat is like, I I sort of think of what, uh, you know, Amy Pond says, the doctor, uh, when uh, in the doctor's wife, where the TARDIS comes alive, Amy Pond looks at him and says, did you wish really hard? I sort of feel (laughs) like I, yeah. I am such a fan of timey wiminess in Doctor Who, and I was as a as a classic series fan mm-hmm. in my youth. That like Stephen Moffat is the showrunner that my seven year old self would have wanted. Like I just got such shivers down the, su- the spine any time Doctor Who got got timey wimey, uh, which it did so little, so frustratingly yeah. little in the classic series. I know. You know I talk, ma- talk many times about how much I love the TARDIS being in the middle of the story. And that was partly because I wanted more. I was restless for more back and forth, um, mm. which is what certainly what Moffat gives you in spades, probably too much. It's a little bit sort of be careful what you wish for <laughs> kind of yeah. situation with Moffat and his timey wiminess. Uh, but I will just add to your list. The, uh, I always go back to his wonderful timey wiminess in uh, uh, the wedding of River Song, the beginning of of that. Oh yeah, where it's the whole like universe the first time, is stuck. The, the first everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is a brilliant I haven't even analogy. Seen it, by the way, so. oh oh uh, my god, you must if you love Tiny Wyman. I know, I know. That's, yeah, I know. that's the way to go. How to do it? Dimensiony, why mention? So we filed a lot of praise on him, but I I do think we should at least touch on sort of where they went with the angels after this. And he sort of mm. has made the analogy when he, you know, taking this great concept, which was inevitable. It was inevitable they were going to bring the angels back. Let's be real. Um, you know, you, you simply such a winning concept. Yes, there mm. would have been a poetic, uh, some poetry to just leaving them here, and that's it. Um, but they went ahead and did uh, flesh and stone, time of angels. That mm. was Moffat as well. And yeah. he made the analogy between sort of alien and aliens, even though it's yeah. kind of plural in both. 
Um, and unfortunately, I, I would say for the Angels themselves, uh, and again, we'll get into reviewing the episode when we get to it, but it's definitely probably one of the worst because it takes away the thing that really makes them scary is you never actually see them move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when they, they made that choice later, it, it just seemed like such a mistake to me, uh, I think to most. And they, they wisely never did that again. Yeah. Um, it was, we see it as sort of a failed experiment, but I'll give Chibnall points for including the village of the angels. Yes. With Whitaker, uh, which I do think, uh, worked. It was actually one of her better episodes, I would argue. It was, it was, it was, it was one of the highest rated uh, of the, of the flux season. Um, and for good reason. And it, and it does up the ante, which you seem to always need to do with the angels, uh, by having mm. them uh, turn the doctor into into an angel, turn the doctor well, into stone. It also really zeroes in, I think, on that phrase that you, you talked about earlier, the lonely assassins, and mm-hmm. almost kind of takes it literally. Yeah. And that, that was, I thought, really smart. And it was a much better explore, exploration, I would say, of like what we angel society is like like it wasn't really like huge but it's like it was a lot there that you could infer from mm. what they were like and uh much better than either flesh and stone and i would say angels take manhattan which yeah i, I don't even want to talk about it's just so freaking was silly misfire yeah yeah big massive time. misfire Big time. Uh, Statue of Liberty-sized misfire. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the problem is, I mean, there, there is a problem with always wanting to make the angels bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah. better and, and bolder, and, you know, more more and more added to their canon. Maybe what we've learned uh, from, certainly we've learned it when we went to Genesis of the Daleks and Dalek, uh, mm. is that sometimes you you got to bring it back to just people, haven't encou- people who haven't encountered these monsters that we know are terrifying monsters that can be the scariest thing of all right just to bring it back to just a few people who don't understand what they're dealing yeah. with here and and that's what we kind of need to if if the weeping angels ever come back and i hope they do uh, i hope we bring it back with a dalek style episode that maybe maybe just call it angel mm, maybe just show yeah. the damage that a single weeping angel can do yeah Wow, that's a that's a really smart idea. Oh man, right. RTD, RTD, again. you got it. It's for, <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to put the you. phone over David Tennant's mouth. The uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, do call us. Uh, well, you know that then the Billy Shipton spinoff series. We're just generating ideas at a rapid clip. Yeah, and um, just to, so before we get to the four questions, one more thing that mm-hmm. um, I don't think we said explicitly, it's all implied, but one of the best things about this episode is that it is a Dr. Light episode and that yes. you really don't know what they're going to do to Sally and Larry. Like it, you really can't underestimate the value of that because if it was the doctor and Martha, I mean, obviously they, they're going to figure out some way out of it and you still have a show, right? I mean, you know, they'd still do interesting things and there, there can be consequences, but here the, you really believe the characters can pay the ultimate consequence. Uh, yes. And again, in the earliest drafts of this, they did. At least one of them did. So hmm. um, it's a the fact that the doctor isn't there um, really levels up the fear to uh, an, another level. You know, it's just it's just brilliant, like, just so good. Like the structure of this yeah. is just just perfect for a horror episode he's in it just enough just yeah. enough to make it not not feel like a dr light episode right because 
the, the focus is on the doctor and not in a love and monsters kind of who is this guy kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's another valid approach. We'll get to love and monsters someday. Um, <laughs> but I actually really liked it, but this is sort of yeah. like, you know, the, the doctor is a mysterious image on a screen, which again is so meta. I yeah. mean, I, <laughs> I had that, I, I may have mentioned it on the show before. One of the first stories I ever wrote as a kid was about doctor who quote unquote, as he was then, uh, to me, um, you know, in his scarf, it was Tom Baker, uh, pulling me into the screen. Right. That was the story that I wrote. So the idea of the doctor being an image on the screen who you can actually talk to or have some kind of dialogue with, like that is very meta commentary on fandom itself. Doctor Who fandom itself. Mm. We've all had something like that fantasy. The fact that it was uh, enmeshed in the the story of, of of Sally Sparrow, who is a child in the in the uh, story right. that inspired this, um, you know, really brings it back to that sense of like kids. As a kid, you can almost believe that the Doctor is real; that you can talk to him through the screen. Mm. So the fact that Blink did it, that it went there, and and of course now no no Doctor Light episode can ever do that again without yeah, seeming yeah. like a ripoff. Um, but it really went there. Well, whenever we want to talk to the Doctor through the screen, we usually want to ask him some questions. Uh, well, well but- first of all. There's a fifth question <laughs> before we get to the four questions. Do say, Pete, how did your how did your kids? Um, I assume they've seen Blink oh, before. What do they think this time around? They have. So actually, thanks for asking because mm-hmm. I, I like I mentioned in the last podcast, I've recently watched it with my daughter during the mm. ha- uh, the Halloween season. Um, she she's was just old enough to sort of get through it without being yes. too freaky. As long as one of us was watching her watching with her. Um, so that was good. So what I did this time was over, I watched this over this Thanksgiving holiday and I watched it with my, uh, my immediate family, like every my wife, my two kids, mm-hmm. but also my in-laws. So my wife's Ooh. parents. So mm-hmm. we all watched cause I want Cause one of the good things about this episode it is such a good episode to show people new to the show and they're not Absolutely. fans of the show. They know I am obviously, but they don't watch it. And I thought, well, yep. let's see how they react. And I'll tell, I'll say this. It didn't turn them into fans. No, <laughs> uh, but I like watching my kids being excited to watch it with them. You know, yeah. like it's kind of like they were looking at their reactions and then we were talking about it after. So it was, it was a good collective moment. And I think if you have been won over by Dr. Who in any way, like, or, uh, you know, like this, this episode alone, whether you're a casual fan or a hardcore fan, um, sort of can bring people together. It's it's it, okay. it becomes a good time. So yeah, it was it was a fun experience. Again, I don't think they're they're going to subscribe to BritBox or go even no. HBO Max or buy some DVDs, but they were like, oh yeah, that that was really fun and interesting. And, and it's kind of it's a good thing. sort of way of showing people that Doctor Who isn't what they think it is, right? If they yeah. if they think it's just a th- oh it's a thing for kids, it's not got any depth to it. You show them Blink, they're like, okay, I, I didn't realize it could do that interesting mm. you don't necessarily yeah. want to make, you, you want to have a pro i i would always start people with blink and then go to 11th hour ah uh, okay you know just to because yeah. then that shows the doctor can change face whatever um and uh 
you know, and then it's another strong episode. You need to, you need, it needs to be the start of the propaganda. <laughs> yeah, they were both on my list that I've mentioned before of the 12 mm. episodes to watch before the 50th anniversary special, both Blink mm. and the 11th mm. Hour. Um, mm. Oh, no, mm. wait, actually, was it 11th Hour? I might not have. Anyway, forget what I said. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Rose, certainly, I, I know you're a big fan of showing people Rose and you're starting yeah. at the beginning yeah. of uh, the new show. Um, not necessarily. I, I, when I start, when I have the heavy burden of trying to introduce someone to talk to, I start with Blink. Mm. I always do. And, nice. uh, it seems to have done the job, but I always remember, I will always remember one time screening it for friends in 2008 and one particular friend who literally would jump out of her seat when mm. at the, at the, at the teeth, at the, the angel face, the jump cuts. Yeah. It, it's a good one for that. Did you have anyone jumping out of the seat at Thanksgiving? Uh, it's just maybe in, in, inside. <laughs> yeah, I also saw this. It yeah. was uh, on a night we were a little bit tired, so it might have been, yeah. you know, just before bed. But oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fine old one to just <laughs> relax you before bedtime. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No question. But yeah. we have questions. There we are do. four of them, and they are, of course, the four questions to Doomsday. The first question is, of course, why did the randomizer take us here? Which we touched on a little bit, but let's yeah, see a little if we can bit. get a definitive answer. Chris, what's your theory? Well, I did mention that the word blink, uh, talking about the cat in Planet of Giants. I, I, I mentioned that. I think it's also like the randomizer is newly interested in Tenant because he's coming back. True. Uh, this is, you might say that this is the first Tenant Dr. Light episode, and the power of the Doctor was the second. Uh, right. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of ten, Tenant Light, um, but still he plays a very important mm-hmm. role in it. Um, okay. You know, uh, so yeah. Uh, also, I think the Randomizer does want to mess with us by using up all the good ones. And, and I want to mention the, the scariest possible answer to this question, which is that the angels have the randomizer. Oh, terrifying. Yes. Wow. Mm, maybe They're sucking maybe, all the time potential out of it. Maybe we're, we're destined for an angel streak. Could be. This. So I, want, I, I thought of an aspect of the story that we really didn't talk about, which is that the TARDIS dematerializes without... Sally and Larry in it, which is unusual yes. for the TARDIS. Um, again, probably clearly because the Doctor read that's what he had to do. Um, but we just came from Planet of Giants, where yep. the TARDIS wasn't just reduced in size, mm. but once it dematerializes at the end, everything gets big except the stuff that yeah. was already small before they got in. You know, so like I, <laughs> the disease or the uh, insecticide infection in Barbara right. as well as the seed. So I'm bridging that. <laughs> that the TARDIS is this more sophisticated device is what the mm-hmm. randomizer is trying to signal to us. And uh what things that you might think are plot holes are really just the the TARDIS uh being smarter than you think. So that's what I'm Yeah, is this about. the first time that the TARDIS uh, dematerializes without the people who are ostensibly inside it? I believe yes, uh, for that, going that like a, a dematerialization because we've seen mm. it materialize around people before. In, yeah, uh, parting of the ways is the one that uh, mm. really sticks out to me, but it, it's done mm. it a few times. But th- I think this might be the first time it dematerializes without people. 
Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. And that's kind of a scary moment in itself, like that the, totally. the doctor's abandoning them. Um, but it's it's wonderful. But huh. yeah, the fact that we also get a it's bigger on the inside moment in the middle of all of the everything else that's going on in Blink. Right. So fantastic. Um but yeah, the the, the, the randomizer definitely loves uh the TARDIS episodes and is mm. burning through them at a prodigious rate. And so do I. Um <laughs> But we need to cut to the second question, which is, what if the evil plot had succeeded? Okay, so the evil evil plot is the angel's plot. Aren't we told that it would destroy two-thirds of the the, uh, universe? Or is that just if Billy Shipton goes on a date with Sally Sparrow? (laughs) I think that was the Billy line, but... Basically, the angels don't just have the phone box. They get the phone box if their plot mm-hmm. succeeds. So, and they came pretty close because they had that key. So they suck all the potential time energy out of the TARDIS, which. Well, I just felt like, did... why wouldn't you just use the TARDIS to, to travel through time and, you know, effectively turn Earth into an angel farm? Well, here's why. Because any the TARDIS. Planet. TARDIS requires, what, six people to stand around the console? <laughs> do you be operating normally? Uh, now, how are the angels going to do that without looking at each other? <laughs> Got it. So, like, I guess you could, they would just suck all the time energy, and it's still the same difference, I guess. It's just mm-hmm. they can't time travel explicitly now. Um, mm. Though, I guess, I don't know. If you think about it, they why couldn't they just send themselves back in time and then keep, I guess it depends on how long-lived they are. Like, yeah, uh, you know, you, you do sort of bring up the thorny question of angel reproduction. Um, uh, how do uh, weeping angels get it on? Didn't know I'd be asking myself that question today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, are, are they far, are they like battery farmed, or is there weeping angel sex where they yeah. just don't look at each other? I, I, uh, also, I will say, in Blink, we don't get enough of what the angels are exactly, and do they even have a culture slash society? Um, again, and I, to, to a certain extent, you kind of wish they just left it at blank and left that to our imaginations. Cause I think the mm. explanations that sort of came later, not that there were explanations early, but like the depictions we saw said later didn't really add up to what we were thinking. But I always sort of thought the angels themselves aren't even like humanoid in a sense, mm. or, or if they are, they, they kind of aren't because they're this sort of decoherent mess of probability and not really a statue. And mm. that I like. I like that idea scientifically. I don't know how that sort of manifests outside of the angel idea, um, but the, I, it makes me think even trying to think of angel society is probably the wrong idea, right? Like that they're more like things along the lines of those time-eating monsters we see in Father's Day and, and things like that. They're mm. just these things that emerge or have emerged from space-time because of uh, how weird it is and not really a thing that evolved in the way a biological creature would. That's kind of what I, what I mm. think when I think can of the I, angels. I, yeah. I mean, they've clearly evolved to, to turn into stone. So that, you know, a uh, very important part of the evolutionary process we're, we're told, but I, I, I'm now realizing that uh, one of, one of the best things about the weeping angels is Yes, they they are another one of these Doctor Who cliches that they've been around since the dawn of time. Right. But because they never speak, they never have to utter the line, we've been around since the beginning of time, (laughs) Doctor. 
Well, uh, again, giving them a voice in in flesh and stone and, and time yeah. of the angels, probably not the best idea. Yeah, um, exactly. They should just pass notes. They should. You, you look away from an angel and it's handing you a post-it note. Hmm. <laughs> so do we answer? Is it like, I guess they consume all the power in the TARDIS and then they're all over the earth and they're... Yeah, I guess that, well, uh, all over all of time and space all mm. at once. Maybe they win the time war. Um. I mean that that is yeah it is possible. It is possible and maybe we should consider this question. Could the angels be potentially more devastating to the universe than the Daleks? Hmm. Maybe. I mean they yeah. consume time energy. They send things back in time so they're not bothersome anymore. They um, they would certainly dispatch all the Daleks into a pre-Dalek era. They'd all become Khaleds again. Mm. <laughs> and, well, I think is you you definitely couldn't fight them like on mass without mm. time travel technology. Like you would need to be the time Lords, the Daleks or something else to properly have a war with the angels. Mm. Cause otherwise they would just quickly send all your forces back in time and, you know, kick their feet up. So, <laughs> um, it, it's, it kind of makes it a more interesting time war. I will say that, uh, than just a couple of ultra powerful races shooting at each other, which is ultimately what we got in, Day of the Doctor. Right. Not complaining about Day of the Doctor, by the way. I'm just saying, yeah. like, you know, so I said at the time, it is one of those things where when we saw it on screen, the time war, it was probably not, uh, didn't add up entirely to what we wanted and we're expecting in terms of a, an actual time war where time was a thing that was used as a weapon. Now I'm just imagining yeah. a, a sort of last day of the time war on Gallifrey where the enemy is the weeping angels. Mm. And you've got like, uh, you know, in, in Arcadia, like in the, in the sky shields, you've got time lords who have like their eyes propped open mm. on, on stalks. Like everyone's got the, the clockwork orange thing, pulling their eyelids open <laughs> all the time. Well, and everyone's just looking in all directions at once. And what you would get instead of the the telescope where you see the tiny Daleks coming out of the clouds, you yeah. someone's turning the telescope and then suddenly it's just the fang face. Yes, like really the angel close, comes through the telescope. Like right there. Yeah. Yeah, you you'd have to shut down all scanners around mm -hmm. Gallifrey. Okay, that this is my new headcanon, by the way, yeah. for how the master managed to destroy Gallifrey again. Ooh, the, in angels. the terminal era. Yeah, there he just is. used angels. Yep. Yeah. Boom. Done. Okay, I love it. <laughs> Satisfactory answer, uh, even if it wasn't the question. All right. <laughs> Third question Where is the Clara Splinter? Well, she's clearly all over West of Drumlin, kind of just looking at angels to slow them down, mm. uh, just to keep Larry and Sally safe for long enough. <laughs> Toothpicks in the eyes, for sure. Yes. She's yes. a neighbor. That's kind of one of the things I thought of. She's sort of the neighbor, like across the street or next door. Who um, <laughs> must have, I don't know, like either she's keeping a really low profile with the angels or just has an army of people helping her out to <laughs> watch she's them. A curtain, she's a curtain twitcher. I mean, uh, you, yeah, you're making I me know. realize this is the ultimate sort of British story because British people do love to snoop on their neighbors because we have so many of them. They're so close. The houses are mm. much smaller. Uh, you know, the, the, a lot of curtain twitching happens in a lot of British suburbs. So it's like, the, it's the perfect story that the idea of you, you could be a good guy in this episode by just simply standing at your window with a cup of tea the whole time, looking <laughs> into someone else's house in case there are angels there. That's awesome. <laughs> as Clara like is doing. It. 
The only other thing I thought of was maybe she's paying the power bill for that house. (laughs) Maybe, or maybe she's the delivery service that brings the TARDIS from one location to another. Ah, angel deliveries. Angel deliveries. Yeah. She, she leaves (laughs) a trail of breadcrumbs of whatever angels eat. uh, I guess. Angel (laughs) dash task angel. You could possibilities are endless. Love it, love it. Yeah, yeah. If any entrepreneurs want to start those, do do call us. Oh, awesome. All right. And now the final question, the only question, the question that everyone's been waiting for. What are we rating this episode? Our rating system, of course, has four ratings. There is a Dalek, which is a very good episode, an Ogron, which is perhaps a not so great episode, <laughs> a Professor Hater, where it it's probably not a great episode, but at least we learned something. And a Viscount Banger, the rating we reserve for the best of the best. and Named I, for Lala Ward's father, mm. who was Viscount Banger. Uh, yeah, I think this is an Ogron with his eyes propped open. Uh, <laughs> no, no, of course <laughs> it's not. Of course it's not. It's it's beyond Viscount Banger. It's It's Viscount Blinker. Exactly. It is the the Viscount banger that is staring at all the other Viscount bangers and keeping it frozen <laughs> in place because it's it's in a sense uh, kind of a cut above a lot of them. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Blink is is one of the all time best episodes, not just of Doctor Who but of television. Um, I mean, see it. You've, I think everyone yeah. listening to this has seen it. Go see it again. Uh, honestly, I, I was scared. It holds having, up. Mm-hmm. Having seen it so recently. Uh, obviously anything can be seen too many times, but I was scared. I wouldn't be as into it. I was into it again. It, mm-hmm. Every time I see it, it holds up. Uh, it's great. You can need it. Obviously you want to pace it out, but it is, uh, it has not been diminished at all by passage of time. Yeah. I don't watch it every day, but it definitely holds up even though it's full of flip phones and DVDs. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it just, it's, every single line in it holds up. It's it amazing. is funny. My son Jack liked that line. You only have seventeen DVDs, <laughs> and he made the observation today. Someone would say, "You have seventeen DVDs still?" Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really want to know what those seventeen DVDs were. By the way, that would be yeah. so. I wish we'd get a freeze frame on on the list. Well, apparently but. they did create titles and um, title mm. cards, essentially posters for them that were all uh, fake. Um, right. So they're not real <laughs> who, movies, but who movies. has been selling Sally Sparrow DVDs? Like she's getting <laughs> these knockoff movies. Uh, you know, I like just... to imagine Sally Sparrow was kind of a movie reviewer for an alternative weekly, and she's yeah. not really a movie person. And she just basically <laughs> got all of most, virtually all of these gifted to her. Oh, by the way, a line we did not talk about, which I again, these little sort of see, in addition to everything else, it's got bits of Moffat dialogue hmm. where um, Kathy asks, you know, um, I, I like old things. They make it's basically Sally says, I like old things. They make me feel sad. Yes. And she asks, why do you want to feel sad? And she says, it, it means I feel it's- happy for, it's happy people. for deep people. Yeah. I love that line so much. It was yeah. the one. It was the first line from Blink to stick in my head. 
mm. for all eternity. By the way, a lines that I, I wonder how they come across to American viewers, where they say, you know, Kathy Nightingale's head is, hey, Sparrow and Nightingale, you know, and <laughs> Sally says, it's a bit ITV. Does that, oh. Did that come across at all? Did that? Did you, you understand know, that? I, I did, even though I don't, I didn't, you know what I mean? Like I didn't <laughs> grow up knowing what ITV is. I do, I do know intellectually what ITV is. I don't feel right. what ITV is, but I can also transfer that to sort of my, my lived experience where, you know, it's a little, I don't know what you would say the equivalent is. It's a little A&E. It's a little. Yeah, it's, uh, a bit, it's a bit Fox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> that would be it. But yeah, a wonderful little dig by a BBC show at their commercial rivals. Uh, yeah. I love it. Love it. I think CW Brilliant. might have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bit, bit CW. Yeah. CW. <laughs> bit Dawson's oh, Creek. Nice. Mm. All right, guys. Believe it or not, we've blinked and we've come to the end of our commentary on Blink. Well, I was going to say, we, we were both recording this when it was raining in our respective towns. Mm. Uh, it, and the rain has stopped here, so it is the time rain. for me to die. And the rain looks like it stopped here too. Oh my! Oh, oh my this God! It. It's R.I.P. Billy Shipton. The angels have the phone box. Okay, guys, we got to <laughs> get into it. The phone box that is, and activate our randomizer to find out where we are going next. The randomizer, of course, consists of two components: the pull to open codex, which is a complete, comprehensive list of every single televised story of Doctor Who, all three hundred and two of them. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the randomizer is, of course, the execute. Random.org. By the way, if uh, 302 doesn't match the number you have on your own personal Doctor Who spreadsheet, because let's be real, we all know you have one. Um, <laughs> it's it's because we do things like uh, the next story, I was reminded uh, when watching this, is Utopia. Um, mm, and right. we, we, in the codex, Utopia and... Uh, Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords are one coherent story because that just makes sense, right? If you've seen Utopia, you can't just end it on that cliffhanger and say that's a single story. Um, so that's that's why our number may differ from yours, but that is the number we've settled on. Eagle-eyed uh, viewers have pointed out that we missed Destiny of the Daleks. Oh, well, that was down. a while back. Uh, that was a while back. We don't talk about that. We, yeah, that's a fixed <laughs> point in time. It Literally, we have fixed that point in time. Uh, anyway. That timeline. Never we use, we use random.org as the executor to match the codex in our randomizer components, uh, which is a fancy way of saying that we go to random.org, which uses atmospheric noise, um, not uh, algorithmic uh, nonsense mm. to create random numbers uh, because algorithms are very bad at actually coming up with an actually random number. But atoms bouncing bouncing around the atmosphere, that's true randomness. Plus, those atoms know they're being observed, so they may ah, change ah, the particle. Yes. Um, and, and that's why the randomizer takes us to weird places, is because we're observing this particular atmospheric <laughs> noise. Take that in your pipe and smoke it, Albert Einstein. Well, I'm yes. feeling good. I'm feeling good about the executor because now yeah. that it stopped raining in both of our time zones, that <laughs> we uh, the atmospheric noise has probably been reduced. And maybe it's going to be it's good. The sun's going to come out, and I'm and my challenge on the randomizer here. I think it's going to listen to me in all this timey wimey talk. I want the timiest wimeyest episode Ooh. you can possibly come up with. 
that uh, isn't blink. <laughs> yeah, that isn't blink. Yeah. Right, exactly. And there's, there's, we we listed some contenders as we were, we were chatting about yeah. it. So it's probably a Moffat episode, not necessarily. Um, mm. And even if it's not the timey wimey, is something something where time travel is used as part of the story. So go for it, the randomizer. Surprise me. Nice one. Uh, my challenge to the randomizer. We always issue challenges. Is I I am going to use that that whole thing of where you stop it raining by taking an umbrella outside. Um, take us to an angel episode randomizer. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I'm basically telling the randomizer to blink twice if it's been kidnapped. Um, <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> All right. Are we Let's, ready? We're ready. Let's do this in four, three, two, one. Moisturize me. 176. We're still in New Who. 176. 170. Time locked. Idiot's lantern. Oh, wow. It wanted to take us to another tenant, though. Yeah. Though we recently passed that point in season two in the uploads, the Idiot's Lantern, which actually, Mm. weird fun fact, was the first episode we ever uploaded to YouTube. (gasps) whoa Hmm. wow see look at the randomizer providing more (laughs) sponsorship (laughs) details for its sponsor the pull to open podcast uh just by bouncing off a time locked episode okay all right right. well thanks thanks for the shout out randomizer thanks for the reminder second spin at the randomizer here we go we're shaving one second off the countdown it's three two one unstable 297 Okay. We're in Jody. Time locked. Bam. Ascension of the Cybermen. Oh, this is oh, happening yeah. too often. Wow. Okay. We might have All to right. create a new system at some point. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we're going to have to take out the time locked episodes. But there's, but there's me, so much me. fuel. That we're using Can, here. <laughs> we're, we're using up all the time potential. We are I, angels I, ourselves. I, I think this is our first third countdown. So hopefully third and <laughs> yeah. final. Now okay. one more second off. Two, third time one. Run, you clever boy. 261. We're still in New Who. It definitely wants us to be in New Who. And it is the Zygon Invasion. And Zygon Slash Inversion. inversion. Yes. Nice. Okay, oh. it's time for some more Capaldi. Yeah, and Clara. It fell back on its favorite doctor when it was like so yeah. frustrated. Like, guys, that one, that one. No, well, fine. Have some more Capaldi. It's definitely balancing out all of the cl- the run of classic Who that we had uh, a while mm. back, where we couldn't escape to New Who, and now we can't escape from New Who. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, obviously, brings back a classic monster. It has mm-hmm. sort of, a, of one of those huge Capaldi speeches. It does. First um, thing I remember fits in into a lot of new who continuity. So it's got it's got a lot of things going for it. So I'm looking forward to this one. Um, yeah, yeah, good good choice, randomizer. Um, I, I definitely felt didn't feel too great about this particular um set when it first came out uh, apart from the capaldi speech so it's it's nice that i'm being forced to take another look uh, yeah, interesting absolutely all right guys thank you so much for listening and joining us on our journey where we really tried not to blink or rather we did blink in that we talked about it all the time and hopefully mind as much as we could have out of it uh hope you enjoyed it 
If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, which is what we are, please do. There's probably a button somewhere. And if you're watching us on YouTube, there's some kind of thing somewhere to turn on notifications. I think it's a bell. That's a good thing to punch the smash to completely. Smash, <laughs> smash subscribe button without blinking. If you have a second, go ahead, leave us a review. Go ahead and put the title of your favorite episode into that review in emoji form. We'd be happy to read both the review and the title out on the podcast. Uh, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, Overcast, Stitcher, all the places you can find us. Uh, thanks so much to Martin West for a good chunk of our music. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast wherever you can find us oh we're on social that's what I wanted to say we're at pull to open on TikTok pull to open 63 on Twitter and Instagram drop us a line say hi do all the things and we will talk to you next time where we talk all about the Zygons yes and in the meantime there we go <laughs> watch out for statues Ooh. everyone <laughs> alright guys it's been fun take care <laughs>